Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. What a week it has been for Arsenal in that, like, nothing has happened. Last Friday, we signed Ben White, and I think people were hoping that we might do a bit more business, at least maybe move a couple of players on in that time. But so far... Nothing has happened. Another week has gone by. It is Thursday at the time of recording. We are basically, exactly, literally eight days away from the start of the new season. By the time you are listening to this, if you're listening on Friday, it is a week away. Friday the 13th, we open our Premier League account against Brentford. So I guess people were hoping that things would happen this week. We know the market is difficult, etc., etc. Nevertheless, it is beginning to get a little bit... um, What's the word I'm going to use here? It is, or we are perhaps getting a bit antsy, a bit worried, a bit anxious, a bit perturbed. The window is open until August 31st, of course, so there is time to do things. But in terms of getting stuff ready for our first game of the season and then the subsequent games against Chelsea and Man City, time is uh, marching on. So let's see what happens in this final week um, coming up. But look, as I said, it's been a really quiet week, so we're going to do something a little bit different with the podcast today. We are doing an episode called Statements. Now, if you're a Patreon member, you will know what this is about. We do these over on the Patreon, and it's a it's a fairly regular feature. What it is, is a podcast where I have guests, or a guest, usually it's just one guest on the Patreon, but we've got two guests today, and I put to them statements with which they have to either strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. There is no fence-sitting, there's no, I don't know about that one, or I have no strong opinion on this. There have to be one thing or the other. Strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. The statements have been provided by our wonderful Patreon members over on the Discord, uh, so thank you guys for those. We'll try and get through as many of them as we can between now and the end of the show. Before I introduce my guests, just a reminder that over on Patreon as well, we do have our Fantasy Football League. It is up and running. It's renewed from last season. So if you were in the league last season, you should be automatically in this one. Now, just to make something clear, in order to win one of the prizes, you have to be an active member on Patreon. That is the only fair way of doing it. So if you are a member and your membership uh, cancelled or for whatever reason, which is fine, or it lapsed, and you find yourself in the league, by all means play. But in order to win one of the prizes, you do have to be one of our active Patreon members. 
the prizes are every prize gets an Arsenal shirt. So at the end of the season, we'll probably have a new away shirt or a new home shirt coming out. So we will give every uh, prize winner one of those. As well as first place cash prize of 400 euros, second place cash prize of 200 euros, third place cash prize of 150 euros, and fourth place, as well as getting an Arsenal shirt, you get a trophy because, well, fourth place and all that. So if you want to get involved, if you're not already a member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right, let's get on with the show and let's get on with the statements. My guests, first, you know him as the host of the Arsenal Vision podcast. You have already blocked him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. It is Elliot Smith. Hello, Elliot. Hello, Andrew. And we have from our Patreon preview podcast and much more, Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hello, good afternoon. Right, so you guys are aware of the format of this. I am going to give statements to you that you either have to strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree with. Elliot, you'll be sad to know that there's no sitting on the fence whatsoever in this one. No, I don't knowing, no, I'm not sure about that. You've got to go big, or maybe not quite so big, but you've got to make a decision one way or the other. So I think that should be okay for you, right? I didn't even hear the middle options. I only heard strongly agree and strongly disagree. Those are the only ones I need to use. Those are the only ones I plan to use. <laughs> okay. Well, look, before we get into the ones that have been sent in to us by our uh, Patreon members on Discord, I have got one for you guys, and I'm going to give it to you, Lewis, first, because you're closest. You're uh, closest to me, Ellie. You're furthest away, so you get to go second. That's just the way it works in these things. Makes tons of sense, Andrew. Perfect. All right. So, Lewis, a successful transfer window won't be dictated to by what we do between now and August 31st, instead by what happens next season. Agree, agree. I think. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, I mean, well, it's, you know, if we, if we go and, you know, maybe, maybe we're all really unhappy on the 31st of August. Uh, I, I can see it coming think you two can see it coming as well um and if we went and won the league we'd all be delighted so i, I some of these things yeah we always we want to judge them immediately as soon as they've happened i think um and i think that's fair and right as well i think we're in a position where we can make some sort of judgment on the transfer window when the transfer window closes but look if they don't manage to sell willian and we all go mad and then willian scores 10 goals next season then the transfer window suddenly doesn't look quite so bad mm -hmm. so yeah this is where i was thinking on this one because i remember the the summer of of don raul i think we all kind of got a little bit uh, carried away with what we did in that transfer window elliot and it was like oh my god we did this. we all weren't expecting pepe this is great and in time it turns out that you know some of those deals didn't look quite as good as uh, we thought they might have, you know, so there is a, a sense that, you know, you can maybe get a little bit carried away with what you do or feel a little bit underwhelmed by what you do. But essentially, the truth is what happens on the pitch. That is for sure true, and I'm going to strongly disagree nonetheless. <laughs> and I'm going to do it for a very specific and annoying reason, a, a very a, a reason that has nothing to do with how we perform on the pitch, which is I think what I've come to terms with about Arsenal is that you can always get lucky, but what Arsenal needs is consistently good process. Arsenal needs to improve its process. Our process in the transfer market, our process in squad building has been scattershot. It's been hit and miss, largely miss. There doesn't appear to be a clear prevailing ideology about how we want to build this squad for the future. 
And so I think if we only judge it based on results, then what we're basically saying is we're not interested in the process. Now, look, if you win the title and someone says, well, it doesn't count because the process was bad, that person is bad and dumb and you should not listen to them. Uh, You should have your drink of choice and celebrate wildly. But I do think that there is some extent to which, like, let's say Willian had been okay last season. Would the Willian signing have still been, would it have been smart then? Like, I still don't think so. I think you have to have a sense of what good process is and then try to pursue it. So if Arsenal end this window, like, let's say, just we'll do reductio ad absurdum for a second here. Let's say in the last week of the window, Arsenal signed three 35-year-old strikers for $50 million each and then go on to finish fifth and we play okay and all those strikers do fine. Are you going to be like, well, actually, it turned out okay? No, because odds are that's going to bite us in the ass ultimately. That was bad process, and if we happen to get away with it, that's lucky. I think while, of course, I will celebrate wins, I will celebrate if we finish in the top four, I will celebrate wildly when we win the title uh, You know, with Willie and his top scorer, I do think that we have to start to evaluate process and whether Arsenal seems to have a positive way of operating in the market. So for me, I think we can at least make some conclusions on that based on what what we're looking at September 1st. I would say, though, by the way, I'm just going to... You guys, when I'm speaking, is there a wavy line? Because there isn't for me. Yeah, I've got the wavy line. You don't worry about it. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't fucking up before we (laughs) actually get going. Um, Sorry. Uh, I, w- I would just say, Elliot, that mm. have we not signed... If we're judging the transfer window on the assumption that nothing else happens between now and the end of August, well, we've signed two 21-year-olds and a 23-year-old so far this summer. So oh, let me stop you for a second. the process is kind of there, right? Yeah, I, I'm not saying we've had a bad window. I'm saying I think we'll be able to judge it at the end of the window. I didn't say judge it badly. Sorry, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying this is definitely a bad window. I'm saying I think at the end of the window, we should feel comfortable... Judging the process. The outcome will matter. Of of course it matters. It's football. The outcome (laughs) matters. But, I mean, I think we've seen so many examples of wanting to get excited because we're desperate for things to be good, and then we finish sixth, and then we finish eighth, and then we finish eighth. So, like, I do think we can judge the process. But, Lewis, to your point, there's a lot of things this summer where the process looks okay to me so far. I didn't mean we're doing a bad job. I meant I think we can make some judgments in September based on whether we think the process made sense if that if that makes sense which it probably doesn't no i get you i get you i think there are signs that in certain areas the process is good i think we're going to have a few statements where perhaps uh, there might uh, <laughs> you know we might take some issue with that uh, as to what's going on and what the market is dictating but elliot here's one for you uh, it comes from uh, kick Kai Kid 8 on the Discord. He says, if Arsenal only sign James Madison and a backup keeper, the window will be a success. So that's obviously on top of what we've already signed, which is Nuno Tavares, Albert Sambi Lokonga, and Ben White. I will strongly disagree because I don't want either of those players. I don't want James Madison. I don't want Aaron Ramsdale. Uh-huh. No, we, uh, didn't didn't say, say we didn't say Ramsdale. We he said, said a backup keeper. Okay, so I will... I will disagree. <laughs> we have to get a keeper. I just hope it's not Ramsdale. And and mainly because I think the outlay doesn't make sense. And I think we have a keeper who's fine for this season if that's what we need to do. So if we don't see the right keeper option this summer, punt the position down the road, get another Matty Ryan type guy to, to back him up and and find the keeper you want when that's available. Let me ask you this then. Just sorry Please to fire away. before you continue with your disagreement. Screen, Would yes. you... Uh, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here as the uh, avuncular host of this uh, show. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say that 
if there are encouraging signs about the process or, or certainly the way that Arsenal appear to be building their squad in terms of the age profiles of the signings, whatever your reservations about Aaron Ramsdale as a player or and or value for money, it does fit in with that to, to an extent. Sure. I mean, I think... We're trying to get younger. We're trying to get a bit more homegrown. I definitely see that. I like that. I think that there's some some good stuff there. We will have re-signed an aging central midfielder that may come up later in this episode, so I won't steal your thunder if that's if that's planned. But like, sure. I I, th- I think that the James Madison thing for me is it's a little. It's got a whiff of the the Pepe situation in the sense that like Nicola Pepe was an excellent player who we overpaid for, and that is sort of where I feel like with James Madison, I mean, he's, you probably expect James Madison to be a four or five goal, six or seven assist guy. And for 60 million at 25, turning 25 years old, I would look at that and say, I think there's better value other places. So to me, that feels like a statement signing, a name signing. We're going in the premier league. And like, that can work. We may like, this is the hard part with these conversations, Andrew. And I've said this before. Would I be excited if James Madison joined Arsenal? I would like, I can, I can, hold two contradictory ideas in my head. I can believe that it's probably not the right signing for us at that money and enjoy the hell out of watching him play. I enjoy watching Nicola Pepe play. There's no way we should have spent 72 million pounds on him, right? So you can hold those contradictory ideas in your head. I've always been more of the, why not go with the the value on the continent and someone like Hassem, Hassim Awar for you know 20 million euros and see how that pans out. But yes, if we get James Madison, I will enjoy it. But I think I will regard that as having been a, a bit of an extravagance for the kind of player we'd be getting. And some injury issues, some off-the-pitch issues. I mean, for Mr. Non-Negotiables, I do wonder if that, that could be an issue as well. Lewis, any thoughts on that? Would, would it be a successful window if uh, just between now and the 31st of uh, August, the only further incomings were James Madison and uh, a backup goalkeeper, whoever that might be? Uh- disagree just I think I'm with Elliot I think when you talk about Madison and the supposed fee that it will take to get him into the club that's a hell of a lot of money it's it feels like a real indulgence Um, and I think that's fine from time to time but we've already really indulged in Ben White and (laughs) there's a player that I think is could be great he could be great he could be our centre-back for the next 10 years now uh, signed at 23 years old but you, how many? You know, we're not we're not cash rich. We're not Liverpool, or well, Liverpool aren't even going into the market like that. But we're not Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea. Mm. We do have to work a bit smarter than those clubs on the budget that we're on if we want to try and catch those clubs or compete or get close to competing with those clubs again. And yeah, I mean, we can't go and spend the market value of seventy million on the seventy million pound if James Madison even is that attack a midfielder and fifty million pounds on a centre back in the same window. I think if you do one of those deals and find a cheaper, younger, continental, whatever option for the yeah. other position, then that's fine. I think to do both of those deals, I think we, a few months from now we'd all be sitting around looking at different players that moved in the summer for fractions of those values and saying like, wow. 120 million on those two players could have gone so much further. 
Yeah, I I tend to agree with, with Madison. There was another statement here from Freddie, which says James Madison is a red herring. And well, I'm not necessarily sure it's a red herring. I do wonder quite how serious the Arsenal interest is. It feels to me like Martin Odegaard is really the guy that they want. And, and to me, Madison doesn't weaken Leicester sufficiently and strengthen us sufficiently for us to give Leicester... £70 million or whatever it might be, whether it's £50 million plus a player or two players. I just don't see that that's sufficient benefit for us, particularly when we're going to be basically competing head-to-head with Leicester for a top six spot next season. So, I yeah, I would disagree with that as well when it comes to uh, that particular statement. Okay. Um, whose turn is it? It's, it's Lewis. Lewis. Uh, Lewis, it is from Arsenal FCTX, who says... Aubameyang will score more than 20 goals in all competitions. Disagree. Because Arsenal are being linked with a striker. I don't know how often or where uh, Peramek Aubameyang is going to play next season. I think he'll score... I think he'll have a better season than last season. Um, I think there were signs when he was playing up front, especially of a, of a better Aubameyang in the second half of last season, a guy, and we've seen it in preseason. He's getting on the end of things. I think when he was really struggling in the first half of last season, he, he wasn't even getting any chances to miss. So that does encourage me a little bit. Arsenal are trying to sign a striker. It seems Arsenal haven't got rid yet of Alex Lacazette. So even if we don't sign a striker, there's someone else who can play centre forward. I And we're not in Europe anymore. So that's 10, 15 games, potential games gone out the window. Um, at his age, I don't know how often he'll even appear with the squad that we have with, I mean, Lacazette, there's also Nketiah and Balogun. One of them at least will be around next season and have to get minutes in cup matches at if nothing else. So I imagine that he maybe will start, what, even if he stays fit all season, start between 30 and 35 Premier League games. And I don't see Aubameyang now necessarily being the player that will will score 20 goals and not in the way that we played last season. We didn't create the chances for him to score over 20 goals. So I think he'll be close to that mark, but I don't think he'll crack it. Elliot? Just quickly on that one before I put another uh, one in this sort of general topic of yeah. discussion to you. I'll just quickly strongly disagree. <clears throat> Aubameyang is a player I absolutely adore, love him, but the reality is his, I'm going to hit you with some expected goals here, his uh, non-penalty expected goals the last three seasons in the league, 16.2, 14.3, and 9.1. He's going to be 32 years old, as uh, Lewis rightly points out. We have the 38 Premier League games plus, let's say, just guessing four cup games let's just say cup, cup ties so an optimistic know, outlook yeah all right well i mean maybe, maybe you know maybe, maybe there'll be seven. we play we, we go in the league cup in the second round now as well so there's an extra one yeah, oh, yeah. all right so there you go he won't play in that assuming but so, you I get mean, through yeah so, so i think realistically if he were to hit his best full arsenal season of 16 or 17 expected goals maybe he beats it and just about gets to 20 maybe he hits it at 17 the odds say we're probably looking at a 15, 16 goal season. And especially at 32, I think expecting him to better any of the seasons he's had, he's had 22 goal seasons for us, but you know, I I think he he vastly outperformed what was expected there. So yeah, it's not because I think it'll be terrible. I just think it's not 
particularly reasonable in terms of an expectation. Mm. Well, he is a striker that is perhaps more reliant than many on the service that he gets and the creativity that exists mm-hmm. within the team. So if that is an issue that Arsenal can can address and can improve, then it may augur well for him. But Elliot, here's one from Crujo who says, mm-hmm. we have a striker problem. Strongly agree. I don't know that we have it right now, but it's coming. Our strikers are 32 and 30, and then teenagers who have never played there. Um, I mean, as a, as a senior, right? So, like, mm. Balogun has played no senior football. Martinelli, some of us, myself included, think he could be a striker, but it's purely notional. And in between, we have nothing. Uh, it's Nicola Pepe maybe trying it. It's Martinelli maybe trying it. Or it's a kid in Balogun who were saying, come up from U23 football and play for the first team. Assuming Nketiah goes, which I, I kind of think he will. But even if he doesn't, I don't think his future is at Arsenal. So... If we keep Lacazette, which we probably will now, you're talking about two 30-plus-year-old strikers carrying your whole season and no one behind them with any experience that we can say for sure will be a Premier League-level striker. So I do think it's a position that I'd rather we solve sooner rather than later. I think somewhere between 18- and 19-year-olds and 30- and 32-year-olds, we need that 23-, 24-year-old striker coming into prime. Otherwise, when Aubameyang and Lacazette age out or move out, I just don't see how you can say to Martinelli and Balogun, okay, it's all on you guys, go do it. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to believe they'll get to that level. I would also love for them not to have the weight of the world on them to do it right away. So strongly agree that striker, if not an issue like day one of this season, it's it's not far off. Uh, Lewis, I mean, it does make sense, doesn't it, that uh, given what Elliot has said and, and the, the age profiles of the players that we have in those positions, we have been linked with a couple of strikers who are 23, 24 years of age, Lotaro uh, Martinez of Inter Milan, who is a possibility, we believe, but I guess it will all depend on what happens with Lukaku. If they sell Lukaku, they've got no need to sell Martinez. and or I mean, they could sell him, but they can hold on for a, a big fee. Uh, Tammy Abraham is the other player. Whether you like him, you don't like him. That's neither here nor there, but it's about the age profile of those strikers. So it is understandable why Arsenal are looking at that particular area. Particularly, I suppose... I think if Aubameyang was coming into this season off the back of another 25-goal uh, season last year, it maybe wouldn't feel as pressing as it does right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all of that from, from both of you. I think to there were really high hopes, obviously, for, for Balogun in particular, for Martinelli as well, who, yeah, as Elliot said, do we know if he's going to play out wide or up front going forward? Aubameyang and Lacazette, both in two years, both of them won't be at the club anymore. In a year, I mean, oh, who knows? Because apparently we're just giving out contract extensions. But presumably, Alex Lacazette won't be at the club in a year. Aubameyang in two years. So a striker who does bridge that gap is, I would say, a necessity. If not this summer, then it would it will be the number one priority twelve months from now if we don't get it done this summer. And I, yeah, I think people may be a little bit surprised. We've been linked with with Lautaro Martinez and with Abraham, as you said, Andrew, because people see the numbers there, and then we do think as fans as well. We sort of look, ah, oh, but Balogun signed a new contract, and we want him to get chances. So how is he going to get chances if there is all these other strikers in front of him? But yeah, we've got a guy who's never played, never kicked a ball in the Premier League, who we want to give chances to. That's great, but we need Aubameyang and. We need someone to be able to replace Aubameyang and we can't go into, certainly not into next season in 12 months, 
for with what we know now, thinking that Balogun's just going to be the guy that replaces Aubameyang, that would be completely insane. So yeah. I think a, a striker, yeah, this summer I would really like us to see sign a striker. If we don't sign one, the next year it becomes absolutely the number one thing that we'd have to do. Do you feel like if we can't make that signing happen for whatever reason, like if we can't sell Lacazette, if there's no taker for Eddie and Kedia, it becomes very difficult to make room in the squad for a player, even if you want them, even if there is an opportunity. And I think this is where some of the stuff that's going on with regards to the transfer market right now is quite interesting because there are you know, as the the window goes on, opportunities will present themselves simply because of the way the market works. A player you don't necessarily think is going to be available or, you know, something happens at their club, he's available. But if you don't have room in your squad and you want to avoid bloat, it becomes, it becomes extremely difficult to take those opportunities. So finding that balance between moving players on between now and the end of the window is going to be, well, a big job already, as we know, seeing as hardly anyone has left already. But, you know, just sticking with you, Lewis, do you think we can get through this season with the strikers that we have? Do you think there are enough goals in those strikers? Uh, and is it fair for me to say that the, the, uh, the responsibility lies entirely with them, given the team's creative issues last season. I, I think if we play well, if Saka is to throw a fit all season, if Pepe's fit, I think those players chip in with goals and I think we can get through and have a decent season with Aubameyang and with Lacazette. I don't think that that onus should be on them. Um, a, because other players have to chip in with goals and B, Simply, we have two strikers, and Aubameyang in particular, as you've, you guys have already said, we have two strikers who do rely on service. We don't have Robin Van Persie or Thierry Henry anymore. It's not fair. You can't tell them, oh, we need you to score 25 goals, but you're going to have to create them out of nothing, mm. or 15 of them for yourselves. Um, it, it's, it's completely unrealistic. So, yeah, I I think there are enough goals in them if we set up well, if we play well, if Kieran Tierney stays fit and Smith Rowe and Saka stay fit and Pepe plays like he played the last couple of months of last season. I think there are goals in those strikers and we can get those goals out of those two strikers. But I don't think it's an accident at all that we're looking at or being linked with Abraham and Martinez, who are two strikers who I think maybe a little bit more likely to create something out of nothing, Martinez mm. in particular, and players who are going to join up and, and with the rest of the team and, and link play and maybe eke those extra couple of goals out of Smith-Rowe that Aubameyang won't eke out of him and out of Saka and out of Pepe as well. Mm. Elliot, uh, here's one from Greenkeeper JHB, who says, our midfield players will score 15-plus goals this season. Now it's wait, a broad. Wait, wait what? <laughs> yeah, I know it's an it's an what's, astonishing what's the real concept. <laughs> Midfielders scoring goals. What is this craziness? Strongly disagree, and my reason is because logic. Okay, okay. Let me human let, experience. Yeah, sure. Let me let me um, qualify it slightly. Our central midfield players, who we would assume are the central midfield players, Partey, Xhaka, Lokonga. Golatho El Nani, I know, uh, Joe Willick, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those guys maybe you would consider as your, your central midfield options. Whereas I think if you get 
Smith Rowe, do you consider Saka really a, a midfielder or a forward? What is he? If you throw those guys into the mix, if you bring in a central attacking midfielder, an Odegaard or somebody like that, then it makes it a little bit easier. So let's say we do. Let's say we bring in a Martin Odegaard. All of those midfield players together, count them together. Do they get 15 goals this okay. season? So do I think if you call our forwards, our strikers, and our midfielders, midfielders, will they get to 15 no, no, goals? No, no, no. Yeah, strong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not going to put Saka in there. I'm not giving you that, okay? I'm not going to put Pepe in there. I'm not going to put Saka in there. I'm not going to put Lacazette or Aubameyang in. If you want to put Smith Rowe in there, okay. Plus A and other who we get in the market, okay. Okay. Do I think Smith Rowe could get to six or seven goals? I do. Just so you know, I, by the way, uh, Bakayo Saka is listed as a midfielder on the Arsenal website. So, you know, you're... That, that's just to make the midfield core look less distressing. Oh, I you think, think so? <laughs> I think that's propaganda. It's that's, just that's aesthetics, isn't it? Yeah, website aesthetics. Um, Sorry about that. You, I should have realized. Do, do you regard him as a midfielder? Um, I mean... Lewis, help me. But help Andrew, me help Andrew. Andrew, Bakayo Saka is a midfielder. Agree, strongly agree, disagree, or strongly oh, disagree. there's a good one. I I think he's an attacking midfielder. So I... What? Right, maybe he could become that. That's not how we use him. Well, he's a winger. Well, he's also a fucking left back. And he plays well, right yes, back. Okay. And he is a left back and a right back and a winger. The one position we don't use him at is midfield. So I don't... It's like the one position he's not eligible. Look, let's say it this way. Sure. The question doesn't work if you let everybody in, right? If you use Smith Rowe and you use Saka and you use a Madison or an Odegaard and you use a central midfielders, then yes, I strongly agree that they can get to 15. I strongly disagree... Otherwise, yeah. and I think that's because Smith Rowe is a guy. I, I could see Smith Rowe being a ten goal scorer. I don't think he'll get there this season. I think six or mm. seven is reasonable, and I think Party and Shaka have, let's say, two goals between them this season. <laughs> you know, which well, that'd be an improvement on last season. That was sure so, would. Yeah, I know. I'm um, just so saying. That, I just thought you were going to go. They could it, maybe. I was thinking he's mm-hmm. going to go say they might get five or six between them, and it's like two. two. <laughs> two. So that that gets you to like eight or nine, and then you still need like. Six or seven goals more. I just don't know where they're coming from. I'd love it. I, I think Smith Rowe is our best path to it. I think Odegaard, I like Odegaard, but I think he's more of a linking player, a tempo quickening player, and, and an mm. assist guy. I, I don't see him being more than a three or four goal guy at the most. So even with an Odegaard in, and even counting him and Smith Rowe, with Party, Lakanga, Shaka, I, I, I say strongly disagree. If we got to 12 or 13, though, that that's totally plausible. Yeah. You know. Okay, Lewis, any thoughts on that? Because I have to say, I think uh, goals from midfield are a very, very big issue for us. As much as we like to talk about creating things for our strikers, and, and that's clearly something that we've got to do, the fact that we don't have anything behind those players, behind the Pepe, Saka, Aubameyang, Lacazette, etc., the ones who can, if you were to put down the players who could potentially score consistently for you, they would be they would be the players because they have some track record of doing it. Saka has a number of goals, Pepe, as we know, um, and, and the two strikers. But behind that, there's just no, um, there's no volume in terms of goals. So uh, would you, yeah, your thoughts on that? And, and would it make you think twice about a, a deal for Joe Willock if that were on the I, table? I, I think I, if... I think this question is very different if we sign 
if we even sign either of them, but if we were to sign Odegaard or Madison, I think the answer becomes quite different. Mm. I think Madison can easily go and score seven or eight goals in a season. Um, and Odegaard, as, as Elliot said, I think that's quite unlikely. And he's a player that's going to create chances more than get on the end of anything. Joe Willock, I mean, even if he stays and we keep him, is he going to play much? So I, I, I agree with you that I think he's a player that can add those goals from midfield. He breaks into the box really well. He he just has that nose, that knack for the ball falling to him in the box. And it's, it's obviously, you know, huge credit to him. People, I think, quite often talk about that as something you can't teach or you can't learn or it's just sort of instinctive. I think it's a really, really important skill. And I think you've got to give him credit and say that's something that he has worked on and something that he understands about the game and reads the game really mm. well. Um, I don't think that happens quite so accidentally um, as people like to imagine. I would love to see Joe Willock stay and play a lot and score lots of goals for Arsenal. Uh, I think if he does stay and if we were to turn down, you know, over 20 million, is he even going to play? And then then can we turn down that money for a guy that's going to be, a you know, playing seven or eight games from the start all season long? So I, it probably that's probably not the question I'd ask when it's about keeping Joe Willock. I, the question for me is just how much is he going to play? Um, we did it. We had this last summer with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and we thought, yeah, fifteen million. He's probably worth more than that. Let's keep him. And then he barely played all season. And ended up going out on loan in January, and now we're all looking back, wishing probably now that we'll get a fifteen million bid this summer. And I worry about Joe Willock following that same path if we don't sell him this summer now. Elliot, how much of what uh, the decision that Arsenal will make on Joe Willock is dependent or, or influenced by what else happens? Like if Arsenal had brought in some money for Reese Nelson, some money for Maitland Niles, some money for, uh, you know, I don't know who else, Willian or Bellerin or one of those guys, your players that we want to leave, if there were some money in the bank right now, do you think that would have an influence on the decision that Arsenal would make and should it make uh, or should it have an influence on Joe Willock? Yeah. I mean, the, well, the problem is like when you talk about the club, the one thing you have to bear in mind is they just seem happy to do nothing. Like, I, I think one of the, the things that frustrates me is just the stasis, the willingness to not take the money from Maitland-Niles last summer and not loan Eddie and Ketty out despite not having use for him. And, you know, Nelson getting no minutes and not really sure what we're doing with, with these players now. And, there, there is this sort of sense that we are entitled to fees that we can't seem to get from anybody. And if we don't get them, we should just keep the player. And I, I hear that a lot of people saying, well, if we don't get the fee we like, you think we should just sell them anyway? I mean, yeah, maybe. Because are they going to be worth more when they get 150 minutes this season, you know, and, and play U23 football? I mean, I guess you can loan them out and get a loan fee and kick the can down the road. And it depends on the contract situation then, because a lot of these guys eventually will leave on a free and then you're just getting whatever a tribunal gives you. But with Willick specifically, Andrew, like here's the problem with Joe Willick. Joe Willick clearly has an elite skill for a midfielder of arriving in the box and scoring goals. His ball carrying into the boxes and, and his finishing is, is exceptional. And we need that. The problem with Joe Willick is I regard him as a sort of championship level passer. I don't think he can play central midfield. You cannot use Joe Willick at Arsenal in a two in the double pivot. If we play a 4-3-3, could he be a left or right eight with a Smith-Rowe or a Sack or someone? Maybe. Could we find a way to use him 
you know, like a Deli Alley is used. I hate to invoke that name, but, you know, someone who's maybe not as technical on the ball but can get in the box and do a lot of things from there, maybe. I agree with you that if we cleared out some of the other academy players, there's a, a place in the squad for him. But I worry about, too, is like if our, Arsenal's had Joe Willick since he's a literal child, if we don't know who he is now and how to use him and have an accurate evaluation of him, what are we doing? This is the thing that I think worries me is like, how do we not know what Eddie Nketiah is yet? How do we not know what Joe Willick is yet? We've had them since they were children. At some point, we should know better than anybody else. And so if we have not been able to find a good use for Joe Willick to this point, I don't have a lot of confidence in us finding a good way to use Joe Willick going forward. Of all of these guys, he's probably the one that I think you'd keep because he has the most interesting skill set that's worth something to us. But I have a really hard time believing we will find a way to deploy that. Yeah. And I'd be curious how you guys would do it. Like, how would you use Joe Willick at Arsenal? Because I, I don't think you can use him in the two, in a four, two, three, one. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, you know is he, is he someone who comes in and replaces Smith Rowe on 70 minutes? Yeah. I think, he, you know, there's a super sub role there for him in yeah. some sense. And I think until such time as we were to sign another attacking midfield player, that's something I would be keen for us to hold on to simply because that, that, element of of i hate to use the word chaos i think it, it could be really useful unpredictability something that we don't have a great deal of under Mikel arteta in fairness because of the way he operates the way he, he coaches his team the structures with which he likes to uh, to operate you know his players um are, are well drilled uh, how effective those drills are is another question. But as somebody who can actually come in and make a difference, if we're sitting here now, you know, on the eve of a new season, perhaps a little in the, you know, a touch of ennui because there's El Nenny still there. We could have a shack at El Nenny start to the new season, which would be hugely underwhelming for all kinds of reasons that we don't need to go into. But if we're looking for just something that might give us something a bit different with what we've already got, it's Joe Willock. He is the only one who can do that. Now, the question is, does he want to play that role? Does he want to be a super sub? Uh, I think you're maybe a little harsh on his passing, Elliot. I don't think he's quite uh, as bad as you make out. But I do take, uh, I do agree that like in a two, in a four, two, three, one, he, he, he's not that guy. But I think in a four, three, three, he could certainly um, play one of those roles. Can, Lewis, can I just say yeah? two things super quick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one is, I'm a, I think the thing that's hard is we've seen Joe Willick play a fair amount at Arsenal, right? So we do have, it's not just like he was at Newcastle all this time and banging in the goals and, and he was amazing. And we, you know, we saw him at Arsenal. The other thing that I think we should emphasize about what he did at Newcastle, he scored eight goals on 15 shots. <laughs> he scored like more than one of every two shots he took. It was an incredible hot run. Mm. And so his value right now is very high. I mean, I'm hearing 22 million pounds is a possible fee. If we do keep him and we can't find a great role for him and he plays 400 minutes and he scores one goal, you know, and, and we get to next summer, I think we're going to look back and say just another case of not being decisive when the opportunity was there. So the only reason I'd want him to stay is if we have a really clear plan for how to use him and I'm just a bit skeptical of that. That's all. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that part because, you know, we did sign a 31-year-old uh, a striker on 350 grand a week without any, you know, obvious plan to make him the main man. So, uh, Lewis, just any final thoughts on Joe Willock in that sense? I, I just see him as the big potential victim of the bloat in the squad and the inability to shift mm. on the players. I think if you've got a... 
I mean, I wrote something uh, at the end of last season, the, be- the beginning of the summer, um, about the size of squads of teams that have played without European football and how many players regularly play for them. And you're looking at sort of 13, 14, 15 players playing significant football in, in an entire Premier League season if you don't play without any Europe. And Joe Willock could be that 15th player, I think. Um, but when you've got Nelson and Elneny and Nketiah sitting around and you've not got rid of any of them and you've, you're struggling to get rid of any of them, then it becomes a real problem. And, and Willian, you can throw him in there as well, obviously. Lacazette and Aubameyang, when you've got both of them and not just one of them. It, there's so much bloat in this squad. And I think it really damages the hopes of of Willock getting any sort of significant minutes and, and the hopes of him having any sort of impact on our season. I'm with you completely, Andrew, as well. I think he's a this this quality that he has of finding chances in a team that doesn't create enough chances or score enough or get on the end of enough. Coming on as a sub, he could be worth five, six goals a season. Could be worth, what, eight points in a Premier League season coming off the bench and nicking equalisers or winners. Now, he did it for Newcastle. We, we talk about those goals at Newcastle. He didn't start all those games. He came on, I think, really late at Anfield and scored. He did it the other he day did. against Chelsea. I mean, he came and, on yeah, and literally one yeah. shot, one goal, you know? so Yeah, but the problem is we're paying a lot of players a lot of money and as a manager, I think as well, it becomes difficult to justify your decision mm. To your superiors and also to the other players, the big name players, when you turn around and we're paying Willian and Lacazette all this money and we need a goal to win a game or to, to equalise late on at Old Trafford and he turns around and ignores Lacazette to bring on the kid who who earns a pittance. And I think, you know, then you, you're on the verge of a, a few results go against you and then you've got a significant earner and a, mm. a player that's well respected and been around, you know, who's miserable and that's obviously bad for any dressing room. That's the problem, I think, that we have. Uh, the squad is just too big, and I see Joe Wilk is probably the biggest victim of it. Mm, I think you could be I, right. Can I just add? Yeah. I think Lewis said something super, super intelligent that I, I want to highlight because I wish I'd said it. I think it's dead on. I think Joe Will could be the victim of the squad bloat because I think if we'd done a better job selling in the past and moved on some of the academy players who weren't going to make it and we felt like we had a space in the squad and we weren't in a pressing need to collect funds for players, we could look at Joe Willock and say, we draw the line here. Ordinarily, we might sell this guy, but we have room in the squad. We have Mm. minutes to offer. We have sold players to bring in revenue where we needed. Joe Willock is interesting enough. We're going to keep him. I think he is the one academy guy we have right now who could actually bring in funds. We do have a bloated squad. We do need to sell players to to raise funds. So, like, I I think Lewis's point is spot on. If we had done our our business the right way previously – Willick would feel like a lot easier player to to find a space for yeah. and, and and hold on um, to. And put it this way, if we could get 25 million or 22 million or whatever for Nelson and Inketia this summer and keep Willock, I think all, most people will probably choose to sell those two and keep Willock. Yes. But we're in a position where we're not going to get... It's, this, it's just the same as last se- season's discussion, last summer's discussion about Martinez and, and Leno, I think, now, where most people would have preferred to keep Emmy Martinez, but the money wasn't there if we were, if Burnt Leno was the one that we were going to sell. Mm. Feels just typically Arsenal that the one player who might be useful uh, is the one we're probably going to have to sell because he's the, one that, the only one that anyone wants. You know what's funny, though, Andrew? Like, this is the irony. If you said to me, what has Arsenal done wrong over the past several seasons? The irony is some of the worst decisions we made. 
was not just taking the, like, we didn't sell Ramsey and we should have, and we didn't sell Alexis and we should have, and we didn't sell Ozil and we should have, and we didn't sell Lacazette and we should have, we didn't. Well back. We didn't, you know, yeah. well back. Right. And, and I mean, so like, don't get me wrong. You can, when you sell, you can get burned. But when you sell and you collect money, if your process is good and you reinvest it well, you don't have to worry as much. Yeah, I hate seeing academy players leave. But like Awobi, people tore their hair out about the Awobi sale. And that was an absolute windfall for us. We hit the lottery with that. And I just think, it, you know, this is, my, this is my mantra. If you are waiting to sell players until it is absolutely abundantly obvious it's the right thing to do, then it's too late. Because everybody else knows that too, and there's no bid for them, mm. right? Like if the only time you ever sell is when it couldn't be more obviously the right call, that's not how the market works. It's true. I mean, sometimes you take risks with buys, and sometimes you take risks with sales, and that's just life. Mm. Same with Oxley Chamberlain as well, uh, to an yeah. extent. You know, a deal that at the time maybe people were a little bit divided on. I mean, not after his performance that day at Anfield, but in general. People were a bit like, oh, well, if Liverpool want him, why are we selling? Uh, turns out that was a very, very good sale from an Arsenal perspective. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here is one for you specifically, Elliot, because I know this is going to be one that uh, you have a strong opinion about one way or the other. comes from Chris, and Chris says, holding out for a better fee from Roma for Xhaka was as much about no longer being pushovers as pure economics. Strongly, well, this is the problem, right? Like, maybe I strongly agree. I don't know what we were doing. I don't think it was right. I don't care about us being pushovers. I care about us being good at football and building a good squad. Like this stuff about needing to be seen as this or seen as that. Do we look like pushovers? Because I mean, do we want to be the, Hey, we weren't pushovers. We didn't sell Alexis. We didn't sell Ramsey. We didn't sell, you know, like I want us to be pushovers. Take our players. They stink. We don't win with them. Give us money <laughs> so we can buy better players who are good. And we win. I, I want better players. I mean, I know that is revolutionary yeah, yeah. stuff, but like, let's get rid of the players that stink and finish eighth and let's buy the players who are good and finish first. Like that is, that is, you're not going to hear much sharper analysis than that today. Buy players that are good enough to win titles instead of keeping players that are good enough to finish eighth. So, like, now, let me say the real thing. The real thing is, Granit Shack is a good player. He is. And I regard him as not good enough to take us where we want to go, but he is certainly not the biggest problem at Arsenal. I think we were ready to refresh. I think it was time to refresh. I think the idea 
There's a few things here, Andrew, just a few simple things. If you like him and you feel like he needs to stay and you don't have a fee you like for him, then you just keep him and let him play on the two-year deal he's got mm-hmm. remaining. Seems yeah. fair enough. He's certainly not going to get a bigger fee next summer at 30 with m- bigger wages than he would have gotten this summer at 29 with smaller wages. So I, I don't see the logic there. But like, also, kick the can down the road just a little. This, this window is lubricating, right? It's starting to move. It's had its prune juice. It's all moving again. And like Grealish <laughs> has moved and Ings has moved. And, you know, we're seeing the movement. If you want to give Shaq a new deal, give it to him September 1st. But like see what happens. Maybe just maybe Roma blink and come back with 20 million. And there's a midfielder you didn't expect to be available who's throwing it. Like the Ozil deal happened, what, like deadline day? Just just wait. I don't think you need to give him a deal. I don't think you need to give him a deal now. And I think at some level, if the market's really depressed – Getting a, a lower fee for Shaka than you want lets you reinvest it in that depressed market to buy players who also may be cheaper than they would ordinarily be. So, you know, I, I don't know. The whole move just to me reeks of like not having a process because I don't know why we did it. Andrew, I don't know no, why I, listen, we did it. I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand it either. I think you're right to say we could have waited at least till the end of the window. We could have waited until this time next year to decide what we're going to do with him and what he might want to do and all the rest. But I mean, Lewis, are we are we overcomplicating this in terms of, you know, as we sit here and think, well, why did they do that? Well, is, isn't there a really easy answer? Because they wanted yeah. to. Like, Mikel yeah, they, Arteta... They, they like... They like like the player. I think there is a very big disconnection between our perception, our external perception slash experience of Granit Xhaka and the internal one at Arsenal. I think there is. I think there is something, uh, there's a chasm between what we think and what we think as fans because we've had him for five years. We were all ready to move on. We were ready to, to see, uh, you know, not, not so much where he would go, but who we were going to get to replace him. Because when he leaves, you have to replace him. You can't just sort of say, well, it's all yours now, Mohamed Elneny. He's gone. You know, you, you sell a player like Xhaka, who is fundamental and who's important to the manager, uh, you have to replace him. So part of all that was going on this summer was, you know, we're excited about what are they going to do? Locatelli sounds exciting. Ruben Neves, maybe not as exciting, but what what profile of the uh, of player are they going to bring in? And what's that going to tell us about what way we're going to play? But the reality is that I think internally, both by Mikel Arteta, by the coaching staff, by the people at the club, by his teammates in the dressing room, like they all really like him. And this decision has been made on that basis. And not because of any external sort of pressure or anything else that's been going on from from us as fans. No, and I think why the contract is so confusing, I think, is that Arsenal were clearly, while they like him, were clearly happy to move on from him this summer. Mm. Um, And I think people see the contract as Arsenal committing to not moving on for, for three years or, or so now with Granite and, and Granite Shack. I don't. I personally don't see the contract as that. I see the contract maybe as that Granite Shack will be an Arsenal player for three years. Not that he'll be starting every Arsenal game three years from now. Um, I think those are two different things. Uh, I think you're right. Definitely that they clearly view him very differently to to how he's generally viewed outside. I think he 
Personally, I think that he gets quite a rough time outside. I completely understand the frustration with Granit Xhaka. There are a lot of mistakes. I also think that Arsenal have been rubbish for a few seasons now and actually much less rubbish generally when he's playing. Um, sound as that is to admit. Clearly, Mikel Arteta is a fan. And... To me, the willingness or the, the obvious willingness to move on from him this summer was encouraging. I think there's probably been frustration at Arsenal with the lack of movement in the window. Again, that's why it's so weird that they're doing this contract now and not waiting to, to see what happens over the next few weeks and then maybe give him a contract when the season begins. I do think clearly there was an openness to, to a life beyond Granite Xhaka and... Simply, they've not received the bid that would have allowed them to sign a player better than Granite Xhaka because ultimately there is absolutely no matter how bored we are, and this is a great point that I thought Tim made on the on the Arsenal Vision podcast with you, Elliot. As fans, we get bored, and I think that you know there's, the signings are always the new shiny thing, and that's fine. And we're fans, and when you see the same player make the same mistake over and over again, you're going to get fed up with it. But inside the club they can't be making decisions based on if they're fed up with those mistakes if they're bored of someone making the same mistake if they simply if they can't sign someone better than Granite Xhaka this summer then it's not the wrong decision to keep Granite Xhaka this summer I think the contract's a different discussion that's a different yes exactly exactly yeah thank you the contract (laughs) is where where I'm confused but to me the fact that they were open to selling him and they received an offer that wasn't the offer that they were hoping for, that they expected the price that they'd set. I'm I'm okay with him staying and playing for Arsenal this season. My, my confusion begins, yeah, with the new contract. Because mm. I just want to say, like that, this is that Lewis. I'm glad you said that because, like, sometimes I think this conversation, two different topics are actually getting discussed across each other. This is not about whether Granite Xhaka is good and we should have kept him. I think Granite Xhaka is good, and I think Granite Xhaka maybe should have been kept. I'm not saying that's what I would have preferred, but you can absolutely explain to me why that was sensible. That is a different conversation from whether he should have had this new contract. And I guess all I would say is envision in your mind, two seasons from now, Granit Xhaka plays this season on 100 grand a week. He plays the next season on 100 grand a week. We shake his hand, thank him for his service and moves on. Or he plays this season and next season on 130 grand a week. And then the season after that, he's here on 130 grand a week. And then potentially the season after that, he's here on 130 grand a week. And whether that's better for Arsenal. I can't see a scenario where those extra seasons on that extra money helps Arsenal be a better team trying to get top six, top four, top two, top one, because that's where we're trying to go. Do you so, think, do you think yeah, that sorry. money is, sorry, I mean, uh, do you think that money is really an issue because the, the, the money side of things only becomes an issue if you, like, if it becomes prohibitive to you moving the player on. And I think if you've made an investment in a 28, nearly 29-year-old player of a new contract, it doesn't suggest you're looking for resale value, right? So certainly the Ozil contract situation, that was a, a, a millstone around our neck because, you know, it just all went completely wrong and there was no way we could move him on and that money at 350 grand a week was was ridiculous you couldn't get anyone to take him on that money without subsidizing it which in the end is what we did i don't know that like 130 grand a week for granite jacker three years from now has significant financial implications for the club even if you could make the case that his usefulness as a player at that point will probably be diminishing Again, though, 
you could be looking at a player whose whose role at that point is to is to not necessarily mentor some of the younger players coming through, but to sort of be there for the likes of Lokonga, Miguel Aziz, perhaps, you know, uh, to, to sort of bridge the gap between now and them, if that makes sense. It's hard, right? Because every single individual error can be explained as not that bad. But when you aggregate them, it is. So I guess what I would say, Andrew, is look, I don't know Arsenal's finances. Maybe we have this weird unlimited budget where how much wages we pay to players doesn't matter and Stan doesn't care and he'll just keep paying wages you know, forever. Mm. Here's what I would say to you. What if Aubameyang's 300 grand a week came off our wages next season and Shaka's 130 grand a week came off next season and Willian's 100 grand a week came off next season? More than 100 grand That's, a week. All right, all right, well, well, give me a number for my calculation. <laughs> well, you know, we're closer Let's to double, closer to double that. Okay, so 200 for William, 100 for Shaka, 120 for Kolasinac, 300 for Aubameyang. What I would ask you, Andrew, is would having 600,000 pounds of spare extra wages to hand out change what Arsenal but, could do to build their squad? But haven't, haven't we done that already, like, no, numerous times? Like, uh, when Ozil left, when Alexis left, when Petr Cech left, well, when... The We've then hamstrung no, ourselves no, with other no, bad no, deals. I get you. I know, but I'm not... Having, right, having made mistakes in the past isn't a good argument for making them again in the future, though. I guess what I'm trying to say is... Granted, check is 130 grand a week. Let's let's say you have a final year of this deal where he's not great. We don't really use him. And mm. it's, let's call it Americans would call it dead money, right? It's a player who you're paying their contract, but you're not getting a good contribution from them. You want to avoid having dead money in your wage bill because it just it's places you can't spend it somewhere else. Mm. If you want to say to me, no, we'd still spend it somewhere else. It doesn't stop us at all. I might agree, but what I would say is when you total up. All of those decisions, the extra contract for Oba and the extra and the contract for William, the extra year for Shaka and the, you know, that you, you total them up. Mm. At some point, you have to draw a line in the sand and stop doing them. And the, the argument that, well, that one doesn't hurt. I heard people say, well, William might have been a bad deal, but that one deal doesn't hurt us. Or Obama Yang resigning might have been a mistake, but that one deal doesn't hurt us. But like, if you keep saying that one deal doesn't hurt you, it's not just one deal. So sure. you're, you're probably absolutely right. But you you got to stop doing them at some point, don't you? Yeah, 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 I guess. I'm, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate for the point of discussion. So, you know, it's... Uh, it doesn't it's, kill it's, us. It just doesn't feel smart. No, it no. It didn't feel necessary. I, I think we're all on board with that. I think we're okay. all strongly agree on the, the contract situation. So that's fine. <laughs> whose turn is it? I forgot whose turn is it. Who did I, I asked you? It's probably not my turn. Just, just fire away. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one comes from Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken for you, Lewis, because I think I asked you this one about Jack uh, uh, Elliott. So it is mm. Lewis's turn. He says we should prioritize signing a central midfielder over a central attacking midfielder. Uh, strongly disagree, personally. Um, I I think that we need an attacking midfielder. I would like to see more creativity in this team. I would like to see more chances created. I would like to see more players who take a player on and beat a man. And I think that that's what really elevates Arsenal to the next level. We're now pretty certain and we're, we're working on that assumption but it, we just discussed it at length that he's going to get a new contract that Granite Jack is going to stay um, I don't really see the space for an extra midfielder that then gives Xhaka a pay rise and then pushes him down to second choice um, I'm more than happy yeah more than happy I'd have liked another midfielder uh, I'd have liked to as, as we've already discussed move on from Xhaka this summer but now that Xhaka is staying I'm I've come to terms with, let's say, 
we go into the season and Xhaka, Partey and Lukonga are the three main central midfielders. I think personally from, from the little that I've seen and, and the people that I've talked to or, or, or read articles from that have watched more of Lukonga, I think we don't maybe appreciate how ready he is already to play for Arsenal. Um, it obviously went pear-shaped in the end, but a couple of seasons ago, Matteo Genduzzi came in and played a lot of football. Uh, I think we... With yeah, much less I, experience as well, yeah. Yeah, and I think we I think we maybe sometimes overestimate a little bit. We're not talking about Lukonga coming and playing 38 games, right? I think we overestimate how big the jump is from captaining, captain, captaining Anderlecht to playing 15 games for Arsenal or 10 games from Arsenal from the start. So I'm personally all right with the with that midfield situation. I think we've got the midfielders. If we sign the right attacking midfielder instead of a central midfielder, I think we have more of a setup to play a 4-3-3 as well. And then you don't need necessarily in some games Xhaka and Partey, just one of them, or, or just Lukonga. And mm. you can play, you know, sort of a Madison and Smith-Rowe as the other two midfielders or Madison and Saka with, with Partey behind, that sort of thing in a lot of our let's call them easier home games. The games where we're going to dominate the board and the team's just going to sit back. I just think that, yeah, I, I've liked Smith-Rowe playing from the left last season as well. I think the left is a position that, for me, I would like to see, like you two, um, Aubameyang play centre-forward. And then the left becomes a, a, que- a position with question marks over it. I think if you do sign a different attacking midfielder than that's a position Smith-Rowe can play and play well on a fairly regular basis. That's how we saw him and Odegaard play together last season after we signed him and when he was fit. So, yeah, I think the the attacking midfield position now, now that Xhaka's staying, um, is the one for me that, that can really help us improve on what we were last season and pick up more points and also just give us more options. Yeah, I have to say I would strongly disagree with that contention as well. I think the attacking midfield signing is more important than a central midfield signing. Elliot, uh, for all the reasons that Lewis has said as well. So, Elliot, any difference of opinion on that? I think central midfield has arguably been the biggest problem at Arsenal over the past several years. Can I ask you a question? Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, Would it be fair to say that if we were looking for a central midfielder to come in and be, what's the word that does the rounds, transformative, right? Is it fair to say that that player could be Thomas Partey? Well, <laughs> or should be Thomas Partey. It, it should have been and it should be. Mm. But I think if you put another player of that caliber next to him. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think as Arsenal fans, for whatever reason, we have dramatically undervalued the importance of central midfield for a long, long, long time. Do you think um, Arsenal fans have undervalued the importance of central midfield? Or do you think the people doing the recruitment haven't recruited to the tastes of... I mean, I think everybody has spoken about central midfield for as long as I can remember fucking Fair. doing this podcast and Fair. blog, you know? Uh, We're just one I, I DM think, away, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, okay. That may, maybe it's not the fans, maybe it's the club that have dramatically undervalued the importance <laughs> of central midfield. But, like, if you look at the last time we were even any good, Santi Cazorla was in there. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, the, the days of Cesc Fabregas are long gone, but... The, the difference that that made. And I, I really believe if you look at Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, 
and you call that a front four of some variety, and you say that's your that's your group for the front four, uh, and and Willian, of course, let's not forget Willian. Please don't forget Willian. Then, and maybe there's a Joe Willick in there as an aide or a sub. That group to me can do the job we need it to do. If you say to me, a now injured for who knows how long and hopefully comes back good party, Granit Xhaka, Mohamed Elneny, and Lakanga, that feels not good enough to me. And I, I would sort of say that Shaka and party fit together for a whole season. Maybe that's good enough to get us top six. I don't think it's good enough to get us beyond that. I think Lakanga might get there someday. We, we shouldn't expect it now. I think if we brought in a truly elite central midfielder to play alongside Thomas party this season, that that raises this ceiling and the near future ceiling more than bringing in a James Madison or a Martin Odegaard because, and this is the reason, if you're able to keep Smith Rowe fit, I rate him so highly that I think he can do the job we'd want Madison or or Odegaard to do. He but can. I don't think Shaka can do the job of the elite party. party. Sure, but Smith Rowe can't do it for every minute of every Premier League game. He just can't. No, no, he just has to. That's all. He just has to. My, yeah. 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 My my thing is that. W- Madison and Odegaard are just two guys we're being linked with, obviously. Uh, Awar is another one that we chased last summer and for whatever reason now don't seem to be signing him this summer when he's available for half the price. But I think there are guys that we can sign that can play really well as an attacking midfielder. I don't think we can... When you say an elite central midfielder, I don't think there is one. I don't think Arsenal can go out and buy a certified 100% will guarantee... You know, like like Tom, I guess like Thomas Partey was last season, last summer, should I say? Because last season he he didn't really do that. We did sign that transformative midfielder, and we were far from transformed. Um, you know that that great. That there were, we were talking for years about the season when we went from eighth to eighth. So I <laughs> I do think a midfielder would you know if we could sign a game changing midfielder that 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 would be enormous. But I don't think it's plausible that Arsenal could sign one this summer. I, I, I don't even know where I would begin with the list of names. All I, I want, Lewis, is a 23-year-old who's as good and talented and multifaceted as Santi Cazorla and never gets injured. So just, just buy that. Vieira Cazorla hybrid. Perfect. Should be easy to find. They're ten a penny, well, I, I think. Want. You know, uh, Lewis. No, is it Lewis or is it? I've lost track of who uh, it sadly is. Sadly, it's my Elliot turn now. It's yeah, your yeah. turn. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. Here's this one. Uh, Sonny Cool says Miguel Arteta should be sacked if Arsenal don't finish in the top six this season. What about last season? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I agree, but not strongly agree. Only in this sense. You just can't make that decision absent some other information. Like the context. Yeah, I hate to have to use context, but I'm going to. In the sense that, like, if we go out and we score a bunch of goals and play pretty football and get some critical injuries down the stretch and we were pushing for top four until April and we crater at the end of the season because Aubameyang and Smith Rowe and Sack all get injured, like, then no, you'd say he had us right there for top four. We were playing great football. We got really unlucky. The squad couldn't support the injuries we had. Like, no, you don't sack for that. If we finish seventh with roughly the seventh expected goal difference in an attack that doesn't look vastly improved. And we never really look like we're pushing those top four teams at all in a season where he didn't have anything else to fight for, but the premier league, 
then yeah, what, I mean, at what point do you judge a manager? I'm sorry, like it'll be his third season, not his third full season, but like, hmm. yes, he has to show significant this is his squad now. He's making his squad decisions. He's handing out the contracts to his guys. He has seven days, six days between games to prepare them the way he wants to play, to find his system, to pick a starting 11. If he's still playing a different 11 every single week and a different system every single week and it doesn't click and we score 45 goals or 50 goals and you know the, the football doesn't sizzle and, and the results aren't there, then yes, he should be sacked. Not because I'm some outrageous like fire-breathing dragon, even if I am that, but because managers get judged on their results like i know that's harsh but that's actually what happens and what's supposed to happen and like frank lampard is the greatest legend in chelsea history which is hilarious but like he got sacked and tuchel came in and won the champions league and i'm not saying by the way that their situation is remotely similar to ours because it's not what i'm saying is if this isn't about results and performances, then I don't know what it's about. Is it just about being a nice club that lets managers come and see how they can make out? If that's the case, when do I get my turn? So, yeah, like, and, and I would not finish top six either, by the way. But so, so you get my point, right? Which is can't wait if the, for the attack podcast. is better and the football's good and we, we have a push for top four, but circumstances work against us and we finish seventh through some calamity. Yeah, I'll, I'll judge it on that context. But no, if we're, if we're roughly the seventh best team, in the way we play and the performances we have, and there's no established 11 and there's no clear system, then no, there's, there's no reason to just keep sticking with it. But I can save you the suspense. We will just keep sticking with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, any thoughts on that? Is there any point now that Elliot's just told us how it all ends? Um, is there any point is actually the title of the podcast that we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an idealism no, podcast. <laughs> I, I have no idea what would have inspired you of all people to set that up. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think, yeah, the thing that, that that context question, that that thing that takes Elliot from strongly agree to agree probably takes me from agree to disagree. Um, if you, if you ask me if a, if an injury free Arsenal deservedly finished outside the top six, should have Mikel Arteta be sacked? I would say yes. Um, I, did, I think if Arsenal avoid that sort of bad luck and you, you never know, you, you I mean, we all saw, I think, Wesley Fofana um, last mm. night for Leicester, like completely, you know, an idiot from the other team being an idiot can completely derail your season just like that. And we've been the victims of that before. So uh, you never know how these things go. And obviously, if Arsenal finish sixth with a dodgy red card on the last day and a penalty and it, it ends up being on goal different, you know, it's not the same as finishing seventh or sixth and if you deserve to be there. I'd always judge this decision or decisions like this on the performances and what you deserve to be getting rather than the results. I think Chelsea, Chelsea are a great example um, in when, when it comes to that, because I, I personally think Frank Lampard should have been sacked when they finished fourth the season before. Um, and he wasn't, they finished fourth and lost the FA Cup final. And for me, it was clear that Chelsea weren't really that good or as good as, they should have been with the players they had. They didn't sack him. Um, they waited a few extra months. They got really fucking lucky that they managed to go get the guy that had been sacked by PSG and he's good enough to go and win the Champions League. They should have sacked uh, Lampard the, the summer before and, and gone, who knows, for Pochettino or whatever, whoever was available. Um, they obviously held on to Lampard and just a few months later it was clear it was the wrong decision. 
I think that Arsenal need to make the right decision at the right time as well. If we if we have the first half of the season that we had last season, then Mikel Arteta should. There's no way he should be the manager for the whole of the season. Yeah, and I thought it was quite strange personally last season to see people at the end of the season, like when we've been knocked out of the Europa League, saying he should be sacked because I just thought at the time I can't remember if we spoke about this, Andrew, but I just remember at the time thinking. You don't sack a guy because he narrowly lost a semi-final. You you sack a guy because you were 17th in the league a few months ago, and then you don't sack him a few months later when actually you're improving, and and that's the way the trajectory is. So we were better in the second half of last season. The question now is how sustainable that was, and if we can keep it up and even build on it and improve on that. And if we can't, if we stagnate again or go backwards again, then absolutely, we'd, I don't think it'll be very long at all if that's the case until we're having discussions about how long he'll be in charge for. Yeah, I mean, I think it's too easy just to put like one marker on it. I think, you know, we have to be getting back into Europe next season for, you know, for obvious reasons, financial, for the prestige, for the stature of the club, you know, for what it might mean, for even um, the the benefits of the Europa League for blooding and bringing through some of your academy players and younger players and those kind of things. Um, but without the context of how it happens, um, it's very difficult to say whether, you know, uh, whether it's the right decision or not. I mean, if we finish eighth again, I mean, it's game over. It should be game over. There's no two ways about it. You have to improve, um, you know, particularly when you have so far this uh, transfer window been backed financially to the tune of £75 million and we haven't brought a single penny in, um, which isn't really his remit. That's on Edu and Richard Garlick and what have you to do those sales. But there's no question that he is being backed. Perhaps not quite. Um, we haven't done quite as much business as yet. I saw a very interesting piece from Charles Watts um, today who was uh, talking about the transfer window and uh, you know the line in it club sources are saying, please judge us at the end of the window um, which might be desperately buying time or trying to stave off criticism uh, but it might just be that the market forces and some of the plans that they have in place are going to come into place uh, at the end of the window like the Odegaard thing you push it out I don't think Madison is going to happen at all I think they're going to go to the wire with Odegaard and I think some of the players that we want to leave will go in the final weeks of the season because you know they'll want to play they don't want to sit they don't want to do what Reese Nelson did all season and just sit around so um, the context as ever is important we, we've gone quite long so I want to do two very uh, quick ones before we go Rose uh, Zitsky, uh Lewis says by this time next year, Kieran Tierney will be Arsenal captain. Uh, disagree, because I don't think Pierre Michael Bamiang will be gone, and I think mm. it's always a bit awkward to take the captaincy away from somebody who's still at the club. I think Kieran Tierney will be the next Arsenal captain, um, but I think he'll have to wait twelve extra months for that. All right, yeah, I think it's impossible while Aubameyang is here. I mean, I've seen people say, like, why don't you just give Tierney the captaincy? Like, taking it he away from Aubameyang to, would have no impact whatsoever, you know? <laughs> he just needs to, to rip his shirt off and tell the entire stadium to go fuck themselves. Apparently, that's the way that you get out of that particular job. <laughs> don't, don't get me started. I, I, I'm already in deep enough hole at this point. Uh, okay, final one from Alex Weisskopf, who says... We will see Arsene Wenger return to the Emirates this season, Elliot, in brackets, as a fan. I strongly disagree. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so either. I think it's sad, isn't it? It is a bit sad that that situation has 
has gone that way. I'd like to see it. And I think probably we're, we're far enough into Arteta's tenure that it wouldn't be... Like, I understood it with the Emery thing. Like, you know, the cloud of the previous guy hanging over the new man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, you know, Arteta and Wenger have a good relationship. I think if the... I think if the season is going relatively well, I wouldn't rule it out at some point. That's the only scenario. I mean, yeah. it would have to be going more than relatively well. I think it'd have to be going really well. Yeah. Mm. Lewis? No, I, I just, I mainly, my main thought on it is I agree how sad it is. I think for yeah. all parties, mm. um, yeah, the, the, the Arsene Wenger isn't involved heavily in Arsenal anymore, I would say, even personally. Uh, and the fact that he's not even at the stadium regularly, um, the fact he hasn't been back yet is is a real surprise. I never would have expected that. Yeah, you did get a uh, sense. I think there's just a lot of, yeah. a lot of hurt on, on his part, um, mm. the way that everything ended, I imagine. And that, that's certainly what's come across. So I, I respect it, but I find it very sad. Yeah. Well, look, maybe um, we'll see something happen in that sense. It would be good if the season was going well and Arsenal was able to come back and watch a game from uh, the director's box and throw paper airplanes. Oh, if you if you remember, he said he'd, the next time he'd, he'd be back, he'd be watching from the North Bank abusing the manager. So, Well, maybe if the season's not going well, that's when Arsene <laughs> comes back with a big, uh, big banner. Thank you for the memories, Mikael, but it's time to go. And it is indeed time to go on this particular podcast. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for uh, for doing this. <laughs> if you can't see Elliot at this point, he's got his head in his hands. He looks he looks exhausted um, and he does have a plastic dart stuck to his head. Uh, Elliot, thank you very much indeed. Great to talk to you as always. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Elliot. You can find him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, at Yankee Gunner. And of course, he is the host of the Arsenal Vision podcast. Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. And of course, he will be with us all season long doing the Premier League preview podcast over on Patreon. And because we don't have European football, we're probably going to do FA Cup preview podcast as and when uh, the FA Cup kicks in in January. And if we go some distance, in the uh, in the EFL Cup, the Carabao Cup, whatever it's called, we'll probably preview a couple of those games too, depending on how far we get. Next week on the site, we'll start to ramp up the hashtag content ahead of the new season. We'll have podcasts. We'll have the Premier League preview post, which is an annual tradition, of course, on arsblog.com. And yeah, this time next week, we will be on the, the verge, the cusp of a new season. I was going to say the eve. It's not the eve because we're we're playing on Friday night. It's kind of mad to think a whole summer has gone by, isn't it? It doesn't feel like any time has passed at all. And I know we've had the Euros and we've had some time off and we've had some some weeks, but boy, oh boy, it's really flown by. And ah, uh, oh shit. Here we go again. So join us all next week for that. Thank you, as always, for being here. It's really, really appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the show. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra, so join us for that. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's hope we can go into the new season off the back of a win against Spurs on Sunday and we can get a good idea of how ready we are for this new season. Uh, Insert gulp sound effect here, I think. So, look, let's see what happens on Sunday. We'll talk about it on Monday with James, of course. So... Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
remember that year well of course it was the most difficult market that anybody had ever seen God you couldn't sell anything at all it was it was hard going I remember one day going down with my bags full of produce and nobody wanted a single thing I said do you want this Eddie here and they said no I said, I've got this Willie, and sure, it's got a few miles on the clock, but it still goes quite well. God, they wouldn't even look me in the eye. Anyone for this, Cedric, says I, and I thought there was a guy coming towards me, but it turns out he was having a slash behind the back of the barn, and a bee stung him on the top of his knob. Does anybody want a Hector, I cried. What's that, said Mikey O'Shaughnessy? You're selling the tractor? No, I said, a Hector. Oh, I could be doing with any of that old nonsense, he said. Sure you'd bring him home and he'd have the cabbage patch empty with all his munching of vegetables and that. In the end, I couldn't shift a single one. So, you know, what can you do? Put them in a sack, few rocks, and fuck them in the river. People said it was humane. 